Hello, everyone. I'm Glenn Crooks, a former women's coach at Rutgers University, currently a club coach at Players Development Academy here in New Jersey, radio commentator, New York City FC, and host of the Coaching Academy on Sirius XMFC. Well, a little over two years ago, uh, Greg Berhalter was named the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. He had previously coached Columbus Crew and uh, Hammerby in uh, Sweden's top tier, and he's got quite a calendar to manage in 2021. And uh, my privilege here, uh, brought to you by Volkswagen here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention, the virtual convention, uh, my privilege to host the uh, one-on-one with Greg Berhalter. Greg, how are you? Hey, Glenn, how you doing? Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. Well, being a Jersey boy myself, I'm always intrigued with those who, who have a Jersey background. I tell all my non-Jersey colleagues that soccer in America, it, it always comes back to Jersey somehow. Yeah, it's, you know, I think we were fortunate to just grow up in a, in a hotbed of soccer, um, to think about some of the players that I was around growing up. I think it really helped for me as a player and, and the coaches and the environment it, it itself. I think there's something about the competitiveness in, the, in New Jersey that, that really brings out the best in people. You grew up in, in Teaneck uh, and you went to St. Benedict's Prep. Uh, you're in a part of the state and a part of the country that, that's, that's very diverse. Uh, did that influence you a, a bit? Uh, you, you saw a lot of different cultures and a lot of different styles of play. No, it did. And, um, you know, starting with my club team, I, I started with the Bergen Kickers in, in, at 10 years old and just the, the amount of diversity in that team. And then I went to Union County and Claudio Reyna's dad, Miguel, was our, our coach. And, and again, the diversity and, you know, we're traveling to Brazil and, and Argentina and Uruguay at the age of 13. And, you know, just an amazing upbringing in soccer. And we're really lucky, um, you know, to grow up in that area. And you mentioned Claudio. He was your teammate at St. Benedict's Prep. I remember your first press conference in, in December 2018 when you were named the national team coach. And uh, Rick Jacobs was in the audience. And uh, Rick was your, your coach at St. Benedict's and a massive success over the years. And uh, t- tell me a little bit about Jacobs and his influence. You know, Rick, Rick was, um, first of all, it was an amazing experience to, you know, to have being unveiled as the national team coach and have your high school coach there. It was a really special moment um, just to see how far everything has come. But, you know, Rick was a guy that was really strong in building culture, building team identity, um, and, and really, you know, the, the detail of rituals and how you can, you know, you, you bond around those things. And, you know, he did a really good job of that. And then, you know, the, the other part of it is, you know, there's something to have, there's something about having a good team, but then having talent, but then getting that talent to perform continuously and consistently was something he did really well. Um, you know, we would, you know, we won all our games in, in all the seasons, but, you know, we're, we're willing, winning them um, really in a consistent way. You know, um, we get, I think we gave up one goal my junior year or senior year and scored 105. So it was a very, you know, a, a very professional focused group for sure. And, and before we leave Jersey and your upbringing, were, were there other coaches who uh, you felt uh, were mentors or, or had an influence on you uh, in a big way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when you talk about Miguel Reyna, um, you know, that was probably number one. But then when you look at Manny Shellshite, um, you know, who was huge um, in the whole area, I used to, you know, go f- 
as a 16 year old go to guest tournaments with him or 17 years old and play U23 tournaments. And, you know, he would be calling us every time, every off season for pickup games. And anytime you had a free moment, Manny was programming it to play soccer. And that was, um, you know, he always got good groups and good teams together. So, you know, those are, you know, two coaches that certainly had a big influence on me. Well, when you, um, when you graduated uh, St. Benedict's, you went to University of North Carolina, but uh, not too far thereafter, uh, you started um, uh, your professional career and uh, you elected to, uh, to go to Europe. And you had experiences in Holland and, and Germany. So uh, I wonder now, as you're coaching and you're coaching the national team and your previous experiences, how much did the, those playing experiences kind of mold how you wanted to get things done? You know, I think every experience shapes you. You know, I, I also played in England where I really learned about the uh, a 4-4-2, a flat back four. And, and I think every experience that you have somehow, you know, shapes you. And I'd like to learn from, from every environment that I'm in. Um, you know, I tell, I tell all my, all the players, you know, no matter what type of coach you have, you can learn from him, whether you love him or dislike him, there's something to learn. And I think that's the important thing is, is taking information in and, and trying to continue to grow. I think that's something we've learned from the convention over the years. You know, so many people yeah. have presented things and, and yeah. you really, even if they, you, you do it exactly the same way in terms of how you set up the exercise. You might use a word a little differently or something like that. Absolutely. You know, I think it's about, um, you know, I, I do a lot of, of that, of continuing education also. And, you know, one thing I've learned about it is that it's not, you should never be ashamed to take something from someone, take an idea from someone. And I think that's, that's what you hear over and over again, you know, take ideas, take as many ideas as you can. That is one thing I wanted to ask you, Greg, and we're with Greg Burhalter, U.S. Men's National Team coach here at the United Soccer Coaches Virtual Convention, is is continuing to educate yourself. I mean, you have a massive job. You're responsible for so many different aspects of what happens in this country, yet you still want to uh, progress. So what, what kinds of things do you do? Oh, man. Um, I'm on a ton of different calls with, with leaders in the sport. Um I'm on a, a learning series with the Cleveland Indians, which has been amazing. They invite authors to come in and speak to the organization and have um, conversations about that, really creating learning environments. Um, you know, read a lot of books, watch a lot of soccer. Um, you know, those are all ways, you know, have a lot of individual calls with coaches. Um, so, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of different ways, you know, always just trying to, trying to improve, trying to pick up on things and, um, and, and learn more. What are you taking away from the, uh, the, the Cleveland Indians and, and that group? That's interesting. They're amazing. You know, it's an organization that is really focused on learning and continuing to learn. So they have an ex-Navy SEAL. His name is Jay Hennessy, fantastic guy, really a guru of, of learning. And, um, and so the whole environment they set up is to just get better and using every single day to try to improve, using every single resource to try to improve and, and looking at um, different ways to do, to do things. Greg, when we review your, your playing career um, in Germany, you were on two different teams and you ended up being the captain for both those teams. And this is back when it wasn't, uh, it was more unusual for an American to go overseas and play. Um, I, I find that, you know, quite fascinating. Here's an American being not only accepted, 
but but leading these two teams. What what kinds of things uh, happen within the program for you to uh, to get to that level? You know, I just think it's being being authentic, being yourself. You know, um, I think you set a certain standard of performance, of training, of professionalism, um, and you know, and I think you know at times that got. Um, you know, not rewarded, but that, that got noticed by, by leadership. And, and they thought I would be a good person to, to lead the group. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really, I think, really good experience understanding, you know, how to, to lead in a foreign country, understanding the importance of, of setting good examples um, and, and competing. You know, one thing, one thing I think is really important is, um, you know, the effort, a consistent effort, you know, I always prided myself on having a consistent effort um, every single day and just working as hard as I can, you know, trying to trying to get the most out of it each and every day. So you're at these clubs, uh, you're captaining them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, along the way you're you're, you're thinking about uh, post playing career. And, uh, you know, I've heard other players talk about you, that you were a coach on the field. What would, would you do things like after training uh, try to diagnose what happened, maybe figure out how you would make it better. I mean, what, what kinds of things would you go through as, as a player as uh, your coaching career had not yet started, but maybe down the road? Yeah, you know, it was funny because when I first went to Holland, I was 20 years old uh, or just turned 21. And, you know, as we're, I felt like I was at one big soccer camp, you know, because you're away from your family and, and basically all you're focused on is soccer, you know, and that, I think that's a positive, but it's also a negative to life sometimes abroad is because when things aren't going well in soccer, that's all you really have. And especially at a young age. So for me, I just remember going back to my um, apartment and I took out a notepad and I just wrote down the exercises in each training. I wrote down, you know, how, I would see the system functioning, the, the profiles, the, the attributes needed in each position, you know, who's going to do what task on the field. And it was something that I just was really, um, I think, uh, intrigued by uh, that part of it. And then fortunately in, in Holland, you know, everyone's an expert on tactics in Holland. So I got to have so many great conversations with my teammates and, and coaches. And, you know, so that was, that was really um, a, a good period for me. And then, you know, at, when I was in Germany, I started taking my my licenses. I started, I did my UEFA A and, and B in Germany. And I think that was, um, you know, really eye-opening just to, to learn the German uh, coaching school and learn their coaching methods and, and start to understand that. So the, uh, the number of Americans now uh, playing overseas, uh, yeah. 10 American players in Champions League, match day five, there were seven that played in, in games. Uh, you had an experience and you're talking about this culture where people are experts and are constantly talking about it, which, you know, even today is still not the case here in the States. You hear about players that have played here. They go overseas. The first thing they say, it's like it's such a football culture. So does that make it fairly vital that our top players have that experience? Well, you know, the way I look at that, Glenn, is I think, you know, if you want to be a top soccer nation, you need players playing in the Champions League, right? Because that's the highest, highest level. When you look at any team that's won the World Cup, you know, they always have player pl players playing in the Champions League. So that is part of it. But alongside of that, you also need a very strong domestic league. So I think there, there's two sides to that. And, and we're, I think 
right now we're starting to check both boxes. And, and as the league has gotten better, um, you know, the foreign clubs have been scouting the league and, and looking at younger players. If a younger player right now is able to play in Major League Soccer, it means he's a very good player because the league has gotten so much better. And you see a guy like Brendan Aronson, you know, who, who's gotten a lot of attention from, you know, from breaking out last year, but having a very, really strong um, season this year at a young age. And he immediately got, got bought. Mark McKenzie is another example. You see there's interest in Brian Reynolds, who's played 16 games in Major League Soccer. It's because if you can play at a young age in Major League Soccer, you're doing a pretty good job. And the general public is uh, pretty pumped up about uh, these youngsters and, and what they might bring to the table. Do you have, do you, you share the, uh, the same enthusiasm? It's amazing. You know, when, we're, when I'm working with these guys and, 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 you know, in camp and seeing how young they are and how much potential they have, it's a really, it's a really positive thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a long way to go. Um, you know, we can't get ahead of ourselves. Our job is to focus on, on every day, but you know, the potential is exciting for sure. Greg, if I go back to your first press conference, I was there, you were in New York and, um, I was, uh, I was impressed. I, I was uh, really uh, thrilled with what you had to say about uh, the style you wanted for your team. But again, uh, the challenge of every national team coach, you're coming from a club environment where you have the players on a, on a daily basis and now the national team environment. And, and you, you referred to Columbus and how you wanted to build out of the back, uh, play through the lines. And, uh, but when you don't have a, a team that often, um, how difficult has that been? And have you made any sort of adjustments from what you, uh, what you would hope to really, uh, how to really go at it um, as far as uh, accomplishing that? I think so. You know, I, I think I've, I've definitely made adjustments. Not I think so. I know I've made adjustments. To me, it was about learning international soccer. And, um, and that was the most important thing in, in understanding what phases of the game you need to emphasize because, you know, we can do, we can focus on building out of the back or build up from goalkeeper all day, but if teams aren't going to press us and we're never going to get to utilize it, it's not a good use of time. So for, for me, that's what it was really understanding. And then how do, what can we get more out of this player pool you know, how can I evolve my own game model to get more out of this player pool? And that's what I think you started to see in 2020 was, you know, this aggressive 4-3-3 high pressing. Um, you know, it gave us a different look that we, you know, we hadn't done before. And I think it, or I know it, it's given us, um, you know, some some good turnovers. You know, we're winning a lot more balls in the opponent opponent's half. So to me, that's been interesting, that, that whole part of it, you know the one side is Glenn is that, you know, I have this ideal of how I want, of how we want to play soccer. And it, it is about breaking lines. It is about also using the ball and disorganizing the opponent, which is very important to us. But the other side of it is how do we, how do we just keep adding and how do we become more dangerous and less predictable? When you say disorganize the opponent, can you be more specific with what kind of thing? Yeah, so it's funny because, you know, People have a hard time with that, right? But basically, it's about understanding how the opponent is going to try to build pressure on you and taking advantage of that, right? So a, a clear example would be, um, you know, against El Salvador, say, for example, the last game, you know, we felt that they were going to try to pressure in a 4-1-4-1. Um, and, 
they were going to release with their attack in midfield, right? As we passed, they're trying to block block the pass off with the forward, but we didn't think that they're going to be able to do that when our center backs had the ball. As we pass center back to center back, they're going to release with an attack in midfield, right? What that means, though, is we immediately have an advantage centrally, in the, centrally, right? Because we'll have three central midfielders. They'll only have two left. And then when we drop our striker, then we'll have four against two. And then it's about recognizing who, wh- who's the open center midfielder and finding them. Um, so that's an example of dominoes now falling. As their attack and midfielder releases, right, we can find our central midfielder. They have to release another player to our central midfielder. And now we can play between the lines and then eventually behind the line. But that's an example of just understanding how to disorganize the opponent. And I, I think a good example yesterday, I don't know if you saw the game, was Man City-Chelsea or Chelsea-Man City. Yes, saw it. Great. It was a good example of disorganizing the opponent. If you saw, you know, Cancelo on the right coming inside, Raheem Sterling going, what? you know, they did a great job of just moving around and, and giving Chelsea, you know, a, a very difficult time. Yeah, it's safe to say Chelsea was uh, chasing the game a bit. Uh, yeah. Would you say? yeah. They were disorganized. Now, you might have watched that game anyway, but uh, Zach Steffen makes his EPL uh, debut or starting debut um, for, for Man City. And he's someone you've spent a lot of time with uh, at Columbus. And now um, he appears to be your number one uh, for the men's national team. Tell us about Zach and his, uh, you know, he's been there for two years or so and getting his first start. And you always wonder if he's not getting games, how, how does that impact his development? Yeah, well, you know, the first year that he was there, he went on loan to Dusseldorf, right? So he got to play um, in the Bundesliga and he did a great job. He's one of the top goalies when he was healthy in the Bundesliga. And the second year, you know, the way I, I look at it is, you know, if, you know, if you invest a year of your time and you're working with Pep Guardiola and the quality of players that he's working with every single day and, and the shots he's facing in training, you know, that's going to help him. Right. At a certain point, it's not going to help him anymore. But I don't think we're at that point yet. You know, you see he's playing games now. He's playing cup games. Um, and, you know, I think that he's in a really good spot to be in that environment, to be in a, at a level where you need to win every single game you're playing. In. They play 60 games a season and every single game they play in, they have to win it. And that's a different level. You know, when you, if we can get more players and we have more players now, we talk about Christian and you talk about Weston and Serginho. These guys can't lose games. They're, they're at clubs where they're expected to win every single game they're in. And that's, you know, when you get that, you know, it's going to help the national team program. Pulisic on the other side of the, uh, yep. uh, of the game yesterday. So is that difficult to watch sometimes when it's just uh, when it's a struggle for one? You know, it's difficult, but in the same way, Christian acquitted himself well and, and showed that he, he has tr- tremendous amount of quality. And to me, I think it was more a function of, you know, the team not, not performing really well, um, although Christian, you know, Christian did his job. Greg Berholder, our guest here at the US, uh, United Soccer Coaches Virtual Convention. Uh, also at that first press conference, uh, Greg, I was intrigued because you made a you made a point to really emphasize that you wanted to do more with the players outside of camp. Can you specify what you meant by that and then how that's gone and has it increased during the pandemic? Because you're talking about video libraries, webinars, uh, different things like that. You know, I, I think it all comes back to, you know, to the feeling or the need to create a strong group and a strong team culture. 
and then understanding that, you know, you, you, because there's, there's time, you know, you don't have the, the normal time that you can be more productive with your time. You can, you can find other moments to affect the player pool. So, you know, it, it's as simple as one-on-one watching players games and sharing clips with them from their own games. Right. So an example is we watch Reggie Cannon play for Boa Vista. I call Reggie up. I say, Reggie, you got a half hour to, to look over these clips and we review his game. And, you know, we look at some things that we felt he can do better. We get a better understanding of what it was expected from him in the game, right? What, what the game plan was and, and did he execute that game plan? And then we give him some feedback. You know, there's, you know, we've noticed that there, there's times where the clubs aren't giving the players um, enough feedback on their performance. And, and, and I know they're busy and I know they have, a, you know, a lot of games and, and, you know, the games come quickly. So you don't always have time for that. But, you know, we're there to support the player in, in that in that way as well. There's other things like, you know, having a riddle competition on a, on a WhatsApp chat group with the team, you know, to, to foster team spirit and team culture. There's, um, you know, tactical sessions that we do uh, on Zoom with our own game model where we're reviewing um, our principles of play with the guys. So, you know, we're trying to get creative. Um, you know, we're, we're cognizant of, of what the players um, have going on in their club environment. So we don't want to be overbearing, but we're trying to take advantage of small moments of time to, to help. Yeah. When you, you talked about uh, discussing these things or getting on a Zoom with a player um, during their club season. So the clubs welcome that there, you don't, uh, there aren't any objections. No, you know, we would never tell them something like contradictory to what their club is telling them. That's not that's not what we focus on. It's really just trying to understand what was asked of him in the game and, and review the game on that. Um, you know, it, there is a fine line and we're aware of that fine line and, and we understand what the players doing with this club is really important and, um, and we're there to support that effort. Can you share with us a little bit uh, what you uh, suggested to Reggie Cannon, where, where do you see his game going? I think people have really been, uh, you know, thrilled with how he's looked on the outside at the back. Um, what's your assessment? I think for, you know, in that particular game, there were a couple things we felt he could be closing down his opponent quicker. Um, you know, there were times where he gave his opponent too much time to receive the ball. So that was something. And then, at moments that the ball is getting switched, can he be a more aggressive trying to get behind their back line, attacking lines? And, you know, so just pointing those out. And, you know, this was, you know, relatively early on in his time there. So it was something where he had to get used to, you know, to playing at that level and, and used to his teammates. Another guy, Sergio Dest, who you brought up, uh, his debut, if I have this right, was uh, was against Mexico at MetLife Stadium here yeah. in Jersey. Yeah. And, you know, people are, you know, there's really, there's a, there's a buzz about this guy, but uh, one thing I recall is he got megged for the first Mexican goal. I mean, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a struggle for him at first. Yeah, no, he did. And he, you know, and that's, he was playing left back and, and, um, and he got beat on the first goal, but overall, I think he, he performed well. What I saw was at a young age, he's just calm. He's calm on the ball. You know, to be a good team, you need players that can receive the ball under pressure, and he's a guy that can do that. And, and that's something about, you know, when we look at those games, you know, those games are important to help the team grow. They're not, you know, that's what we use them for. You know, it's not something where we say, okay, you know, a friendly game against Mexico is going to make or break this program. You know, it's, it's about learning from these games. And what you want to do is position yourself 
develop yourself that when you're in must win games, you can win those games, right? Talk about world cup qualifying, um, the world cup, you know, that's when it get. that's what you do all this for, right. It's to perform at events like that. I, I, I love that you put it that way because I felt the same way uh, after that Mexico game, but uh, that was not necessarily the, the feeling amongst the, uh, the supporters and other members of the media. The, there was a lot of stress there uh, in the general public questions about whether the players are good enough to play the way you want to play, because you did a lot of building out of the back in that game. I think the first couple of goals were mistakes out of the back, but that was intentional. Correct. You knew Mexico was yeah. going to press you high. Yeah. So, I mean, let's really, let's talk about this, right? So the first goal, it wasn't, it was, we gave up chances playing out of the back for sure. The second goal late in the game, you know, after we made five changes was a direct result of playing out of the back. The third goal was a counterattack. The first goal was a cross after you referenced Serginho got beat, right? But we definitely made mistakes. But for us, what it was is it was an opportunity to, to, practice time and time again playing out of the back where we wouldn't we don't get that opportunity all the time you know teams don't high press us and we knew Mexico is all they're going to do is high press us so what we got was a lot of information from that game and some of it was good or some of it was you know positive and some of it was negative in terms of what we can handle what we're good at what what we need to improve um, when we need to bypass pressure right if they're releasing so in this game they were playing, uh, you know, four, two, three, one, four, one, four, one at times. They're very man orientated in central midfield. Um, they're releasing with their wingers at times who are center backs and they were releasing with their fullbacks to our fullbacks. But it also meant that we were left with a two V three or they had two defenders and we had three attackers high up the field. And that's valuable information for us to gain, because if we know they're going to do that, I think it gives us, you know, a clear understanding of where the ball needs to go and how we need to get it there. Another player I wanted to ask you about, Tyler Adams. Uh, it was funny. I remember the uh, the stir you created when you started him at right back. And I, I as far as I know, that's the only time he's played right back for you. He's, uh, and uh, who was the right back for Leipzig uh, at the start of the game a couple of days ago? Yeah, exactly. No, you know, that. listen, it's it's – the thing about it is it's, it's fun. I think it's fun for us to look at the possibilities, right? Look at the flexibility of a team, look at the flexibility that one player can give you so he can play right back defensively. But in, you know, in the game, every time attacking, he came inside and played centrally. And that's, you know, I think that's something that, you know, sometimes we miss the fantasy. We miss the, the, you know, the, the ideas uh, of trying things and being creative and, and, and that was an example of us trying to do that. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all about taking advantage of the qualities you have on the field and the quality of your players. Greg, if I could ask you about dual nationals, that's always a hot topic. And uh, I thought uh, the way you uh, have talked about your approach to that is, is very healthy. You know, there's been discussion in the past that we've lost dual nationals because we don't communicate with them uh, frequently enough, that sort of thing. Uh, you seem to want to bring them in and just sell your environment, not hit them over the head with a bat and say, Hey, you should be with us because we're better. You tried to show them that. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the way I look at this, Glenn is, is it's very complicated. It's not straightforward. So an example I'll give you is say, you know, a Mexican American player that he grew up in, in America, but his parents are Mexico, Mexican. 
They have a, a real close attack, uh, attachment to Mexico. And, and you know, as, as, a, as a child, you look up to your parents and if they're pushing you hard in one direction, even though you grew up in America, it could be, there could be a conflict there. And all we want to do is, is acknowledge that this player could be torn, right? It's completely normal that this player doesn't know exactly what they want at this moment in time, particularly with young players. So what we want to do is bring them into our environment and say, listen, this, this is what we're about. And, and we, you know, and this is how we can support you. And by the way, we'll support you with whatever, whatever decision you make, we're behind you because we know it's a difficult one. And, you know, we tried to do that with all our players. You know, Sergino is an example of a guy that, you know, he had Holland going after him also. And, and, you know, the, the our youth national team programs have did a good, have done a good job of integrating him at a young age. And when it came to us, you know, it was, I met with him, Ernie met with him and we talked to him about what we can offer him and how we see him uh, performing in our program. And, it, and he chose us and, and that was great, but you know, there's going to be some situations that they don't choose us. And that's also fine. You know, this is all just part of it. All we can do is represent ourselves and, and, and show the players, you know, what the environment looks like for them. Yeah. There's some players here. Eunice Musa, yeah. Andres Perea, Daryl Dike, I, uh, uh, Ayo Akinola, David Ochoa, Farfan, yep. Rajo, Alvarez, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a group. I know you probably hope that they all uh, lean your way, but can you, what, what about your environment uh, do you think gives you an advantage if you do? Well, I think it's about, I think it's about, or I know it's about learning. It's about learning together. It's about the collective, you know, it's not about pointing fingers. It's about supporting each other. It's about, um, you know, being very clear with expectations, um, being very detailed with the culture of who we are. Um, it's taking great pride in who we are, taking great pride in playing for the U.S. national team, representing our country. Um, and, you know, it's an environment that we want to we want to challenge ourselves. We want to push ourselves. We want to be great. Greg, this uh, comes up quite a bit. And uh, I think your perspective uh really is essential since you you played there uh the the number of americans that uh, are now um in germany the bundesliga playing developing what is it about is it germany and americans as as far as you're concerned well i think the mentality matches up pretty well um you know the germans are are very um um I think you know they're very programmed people. They're very straightforward people. They're they're very competitive. They're very driven, and I think that matches up pretty well with who we are, um, you know, and what type of athletes we produce. Um, you know, we're very disciplined. Generally, you know, you know what you get when you bring an American in. You know what you get. You know he's going to have a good attitude. You know he's going to work hard. You know he's going to be focused, and that's something that the Germans really appreciate. Um, the second thing is that. You know, as of late, you know, the Bundesliga is about playing young players. And when you look at the amount of young players that are on loan from England and young Americans that are playing in the Bundesliga now, you know, it's really about giving young players a chance, which I think is good. And it's a high level. So all those things, you know, uh, you have working together to be to be pretty successful. Greg, I want to ask you about coaches. So uh, we've talked about players going overseas, having that uh, experience and, and how that's benefited their development. But the very few American coaches seem to get that chance to go overseas. You know, you've got, you've got Jesse Marsh, uh, 
you've got Pellegrino, but uh, it, it's so few. Do you think it's important for the coaches stateside to maybe get that experience as far as their own development is concerned? Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that's something that's coming. You know, I think just as you see now the amount of players that we have playing at the top level, I think you're going to see the coaches. You know, Jesse's done a great, great job of, of um, you know, performing really well with, with Red Bull Salzburg. Um, Pellegrini's doing a great job at, at Stuttgart. You know, he's a guy that was, um, you know, bought up in the German system, but, you know, is American and playing, playing really, uh, performing really well as a coach. And I think that's going to come. You know, Bob Bradley did a great job when he was overseas um, in France and Norway. So, I, you know, I, I think that's going to come more and more. Uh, you know, just as we have foreign coaches in Major League Soccer, I'm sure there's going to be Americans, um, you know, going to foreign countries. Is there a lot for them to pick up if they go over, though? Is it just like the American player? It's the culture of the country. Is, is, would that make it a, a valuable I, experience? I think that's important. You know, when I was in when I was in Sweden, it was really understanding the Swedish culture and understanding how to coach Swedes. And I had to do a you know a lot of work on the front end, just learning about Swedish culture, what it is, what what's it like, how to how to best communicate with with Swedes. So there there is something you know there is that learning curve that you definitely uh, need to have. All right, Greg, just a couple more things. I, you know, I, I look at the calendar that you have to manage. Olympic qualifying, hopefully the Olympics, CONCACAF Nations League, Gold Cup, World Cup qualifying, which is uh, unique this year. It's going to be eight games in three months. So what do you think? It's a lot. It is a lot. And, um, you know, I think, you know, one thing I struggled with a little bit last year in 2020 is just having, you know, all these different groups, you know, if you think about January camp was one group of players and we went to Europe, we had another group of players because we couldn't all come together. And then December camp, we had another group of players. And and at times it gets frustrating because you just want to get the group together. You want to get your top players together and and just go. But, you know, that's, I think that's the beauty of, 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 you know, coaching the U S team is that you get to see a lot of players. You get to work with a lot of players. You get to influence a lot of players. And that's been really fun. And now when we come up to a year like 2021, now you get to put all that into practice because we're going to have to call on, you know, 30, 30, 30 to 40 players next year. It's just, it's going to have to be um, because of, of the, the jam calendar. We're, it's, it's unreasonable to say that we're going to take a guy, say a top performer in MLS, Jordan Morris, for example, and he's going to miss all of June and July being with the national team. It's just not going to happen. You know, even though we're allowed to, you know, it's going to be really difficult to do something like that to the clubs. So we're going to have to work. We're going to have to get creative. And, and the rosters are going to be uh, going to be jumbled up, I think, in, in Nations League and Gold Cup. And then World Cup qualifying is where it's going to be important to have the whole group together. And that's going to be a must. And, you know, those games are going to be fun. So your experience uh, uh, in MLS with Columbus crew, I would imagine you're going to be a little bit more sensitive to the concerns of the clubs in MLS, uh, you know, being the men's national team coach of the U S number one, for sure. But the fact that you've had that experience, that balance is, uh, is pretty interesting. I think. It is, you know, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I know how hard it is. I know how much work the coaches put into it. And, you know, as much as I can support them, um, you know, as much as we can support them, we will. Um, but it's the same thing with European guys. It's tough to ask a European guy who's been in, in season, you know, from September to June 
and then to come in and play June and July and not have any break and go back to his club. So I understand that point of view also having played in Europe. So it's a give and take on both sides. And, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to get it right, knowing that when World Cup qualifying comes around, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be very little concessions at that stage. Well, if uh, we're fortunate enough to qualify, I don't know if you even want to approach this, but uh, Cutter 2022, is there is there a level, uh, is there a, um, a result level that would be necessary for you to feel like it's successful? Is success getting to the World Cup? Is success getting there and performing at a high level? Do you have a picture of that yet? Well, I think the first, the first step, the first hurdle we have and which will be a success is qualifying, right? I mean, you know, we have a young group, um, we have a talented group, but we didn't qualify last time. So we're going to have to get that done first. And the second thing is then seeing, seeing what the group looks like and then setting goals. You know, I think, you know, when we get our team playing at a high level, I think we are capable of beating, you know, any team. And then it's just about, you know, who do we, who do we match up with? Can we get out of our group and then take it game by game? You know, one thing I've learned about playing in, in the world cup is, you know, you got to get out of the group and then you just take it game by game. You never know who you're going to play. You focus on that game and then you move on to the next one. You focus on that game and you just do that. And if you can do that enough, you know, you'll, you'll be in a good position. All right. Finally, Greg, uh, I, I thought it was a great picture. MLS is back tournament in Orlando, no spectators, but our men's national team coach was there scouting. And there was that picture of you on the sideline with your mask on sitting in your chair and it was, uh, I'm sure, a bit surreal as you looked out onto the field and uh, a homegrown player for Columbus, Sebastian Burhalter, made his uh, professional debut. So yeah. there had to be some emotion there. We couldn't read it on your face, but we really couldn't see your face with a mask on. Yeah. No, of course, you know, it was an emotional moment for us, you know, as a family. And just me being able to be there live and, and, and watch him play, watch him perform his first game and then you know, they, they go on to have a great season to win the MLS Cup. You know, it was, a, it was an amazing rookie season for Sebastian. And I know how much work he's put into it. You know, I was, you know, at Columbus and, I, you know, I know, you know, he entered the academy at 13 years old. And then you see six years later, he's, he's on the field for the first team. It, <coughs> it's a great feeling. And I think it's everything that, that MLS academies have been doing. And, and the reason why we are where we are right now with youth development is because of the effort and the time and the resources that MLS academies and all academies across America have put into it. Well, I know there's a lot of optimism, Greg, and uh, your guidance uh, is uh, uh, really something to uh, behold at this point. And uh, I wish you all the best uh, with what will be uh, uh, you know, another interesting year, but uh, hopefully we get past some of the, uh, the obstacles. And uh, I wish you all the success in the world and, uh, and good luck in qualifying. Good luck to the U23s. And uh, we go from there. Thanks, Glenn. It was great talking to you.